right, I want to welcome everybody to session number three of our series, Waymaker. Mike, thank you for, for being with us today. Um, what David and I have talked about in the previous lessons is this idea um, of God being a waymaker, just like the song says, even when we don't feel it, even when we don't see it, God is still working. Um, Hebrews 4.12 says that the Word of God is alive and active. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Um, one of the things that that got us to do this uh, study was a lot of questions we received from the live stream community, specifically about translations. Um, in session number two, David talked a little bit about the uh, origins of the Septuagint mm-hmm. and how that came about. But uh, maybe a good place for us to start our study today is uh, how did we get the Bible in its final form? Mm-hmm. Well, that is a great question. The, the Bible was actually originally spoken in Hebrew and Greek. By the time the um, by the time of the New Testament, the Jewish people had moved to speaking Aramaic, but they held on to the the Greek, uh, the Hebrew uh, writings of the Old Testament. And so it's really about how it's really a, the story of the Bible is about the fact that we have a God that speaks, unlike mm-hmm. any other God, and how He got His word to us from the very beginning. God's word was very important to his people. I wanted to read just a verse out of uh, a couple of verses out of Deuteronomy uh, 31, verse 24. It said, When Moses had finished writing down on a scroll every single word of this law, he commanded the Levites who carried the law of the Lord's covenant, Take this book of the law and place it beside the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God, so that it may remain there as a witness. Um, and so we see from the very beginning how important uh, God's word was to the people. Now, the Old Testament canon was um, established, um, I, in my opinion, 400 BC. Some people say it's it's later it's it's later than that, but I don't see how it was any later than the second century mm-hmm. BC. Um, and now. Um, so that means when Malachi finished his last word, that was it. It was really set. We just didn't know it. So from Moses to Malachi, and by the way, the Jews never recognized any other prophet after the prophet Malachi. Now, the New Testament canon was officially set uh, in the late 300s by two different councils. However, uh, we know that most of those writings, all of those writings, were, were completed by the end of the first century. And the apostolic fathers, those who lived right after the apostles, they generally agreed on what that group of books mm-hmm. was in the in the first, second century A.D. Now, there, there were uh, several things that made a book become part of the canon and the truth is that Christ was always the key to that which books got chosen uh, some of the questions that the those who were in charge of canonizing the Bible was was the writer confirmed by acts of God uh, did the message tell the truth about God mm-hmm. does it come with the power of God and was it accepted by the people of God that's huge because if the people didn't accept it I mean yeah. what do you do you know, when the first words of God were written, they were they were probably written on animal skins, which were very heavy and bulky. We know that God 
himself wrote on tablets of stone, which were probably extremely heavy. Uh, later on, papyrus rolls were um, created. Uh, then there was vellum, which was like finely prepared animal skins, like from goats and lambs. It was really nice, expensive. Uh, paper was not invented until the second century A.D. in China, and cheap paper really wasn't introduced into Europe until the late 14th century, hmm. uh, about the time that the pr- printing press got started. And so one of the questions that got brought up during our discussion is, um, why was the Bible translated? And I I did some research, and I found a quote from a guy that I thought was just awesome. Uh, was awesome was from a guy in, in 1200 A.D. in, in England. Uh, his name was Orm, and he was an Augustinian monk who wrote a poetical paraphrase of the Gospels and Acts. And when asked about why he did this, he wrote, If anyone wants to know why I have done this, I have done it so that you Christian folk may depend upon the gospel only Hmm. and may follow with all their might its holy teaching in thought, in word, and deed. And so, and again, you know, we have people like William Tyndale who lived in the late 1400s, and I mean, he... He was so, he was just a poor farmer kid that grew up to be a Greek theologian and was so uh, thought it was so important for just the common man to have a copy of God's word in the language that they could read. You know. Yeah, so that's interesting. Um, if you pick up, say, your modern phone mm-hmm. and you have the Bible app on it, um, you, you click through there, you'll see dozens upon dozens of versions. So we have the canon, mm-hmm. but there's all these vastly different versions. Mm-hmm. Why are there different versions? So why are there different versions? Well, really the answer is because there are different languages. But within each language, the, the answer is because languages evolve. Mm-hmm. My mother was an English teacher. She was a, a, a department head English teacher for 30 years. Now, Shakespeare's written in Middle English. Well, she was so trained up, she could read that stuff. I look at it, and it looks like Greek to me. Yeah. Now, the King James Version, here's an example. The Middle English lasted until about the, the, you know, the late 1400s, early 1500s. Here, the, the King James comes along in 16. It started in 1604. First version was 1611. Well, that's written in what's called early modern English. But the version we have today, it's 375 revisions away from that. Right. Uh, and it's very difficult for me to read that what it was originally written in, and so um, there you go. We we our languages evolve. Um, William uh, Tyndale probably wrote the first English version that was printed in about you know close to 1500, and the King James came along, and it was really a powerful, uh, but we wouldn't recognize most of it today. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I was reading a book uh, the other day, and it was the copyright date on the second edition was 1986. And up until that point, still over 30% of the people in America that claimed to be Christians were used the King James. And mm-hmm. after, I mean, that's like 400 years. <laughs> that's crazy. <laughs> and we still have people that are KJV onlyism okay. going around, you know. Mm-hmm. But there are other good translations. That's a good one, but... There are other good translations. Well, with all these translations um, moving around, uh, how do you even begin to choose a version? 
Well, I think a very important thing to consider is what was the source material used. I mean, if it was another version or not a good source material, that might be, you know, that might make you question, is this what I want to be reading? Another question is, what is your goal? Is your goal right. just to generally, you know, understand what it says? Are you trying to dig into one particular topic and understand uh, some deep spiritual meaning that God may have for us? Uh, and another question is, how many translators were used in that version? I mean, was it just one guy? Uh, that might not be the best version if you're doing deep Bible study, mm -hmm. you know. Uh, another question is, uh, can you read it? Sure. I mean, there are translations that I that are great, but I just can't, I can't read it. Mm -hmm. uh, is the translation biased or objective? I mean, that's another question we have to ask because there are translations out there that tend to want to lead people in one direction or another, right. instead of just translating what God said. Mm -hmm. um, and then another another caution I'll put out there is: Does the translation you have contain extra books? Right. Uh, so I would be I would be careful about that. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we have all of these things to consider, all of these different mm -hmm. versions out there. Mm -hmm. um, which version is most accurate? Mm -hmm. Well, the most accurate versions are going to be the word-for-word -word versions of the Bible. Uh, there are several good ones. I mean, I mean, the King James is still a great one. The New King James is a great one. Uh, one thing you have to consider, uh, but they're not the only great ones. Mm -hmm. One thing you really have to consider is the number of translators, and your the, the readability for you have that you have. You know, if your English is not strong, you probably don't want to be reading King James because mm -hmm. it's tough for somebody who knows English to read that stuff. <laughs> right. Um, but your word for word translations are going to be your most accurate ones. That's in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that's how we choose a version. That's maybe the ones that would be the most accurate. That's how we got the Bible in its final form. Um, what would be like the major takeaway? Let me say one more thing about the translation. Sure, yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, um, there, are different, there are different types of translations. Uh, there's a formal equivalent translations, which are like we consider word for word. Uh, but you have, end up having syntax issues. You're trying to replace every word of one language to every word of another one, but that doesn't always work. Mm -hmm. The other type of translation that you run into is the dynamic equivalent, and that can be broken down into a couple of different types, functional equivalent or thought for thought, uh, or the closest natural equivalent, which meaning for meaning. Uh, and then you have your basic paraphrase uh, type Bible. So if you're just learning the Bible, you want to learn about it, then maybe a paraphrase might help you. But for deep Bible study, uh, the older I get, the more I lean towards a word-for-word -word Bibles. There are some good translations. The, the, the difficult thing about word-for-word -word Bibles is the readability issue. Right. And that's the one that everybody's struggling with. If you run across somebody that has a new revised standard version, you're never going to talk them into picking up an NASB, which is, I mean, probably the best two translations on the planet. But the ESV is amazing. Mm -hmm. It's tough to read in the Old Testament. I mean, <laughs> you read the Psalms, and that's very difficult for me. I have a CSB. You know, I thought the CSB was going to be my Savior. And in a way, it is. Because I can read it even in the Psalms. So, and that's a newer translation, uh, word for word. So there are several good, you know, good word for word. I, I like the NIV. I started with it in 84. One thing that I'm 
makes me hesitant about the 2011 version is they went to a gender neutral type platform and there's a bias right there that's just red flag for me. Right. So in front of me now, I've got Christian Standard. ESV is good. NASB is probably the best. The NRSV is the most widely uh, academic accepted. You know, mm-hmm. it's very strong. But you don't see a lot of regular, you know, everyday folks using that. But it is a good translation. All right, that's good stuff. So with all of those things to consider, what would be that takeaway point? I think the takeaway point that, you know, the, from my point of view is just how reliable and the Bible is. There are so many sources and so many people have poured in work and effort. And, I mean, we're talking Greek scholars, just regular folks who were appointed and went and learned the language because they had a desire to do it so that the everyday person could have the genuine copy of God's Word. I'll leave you with this. I was uh, I went to a Bible school and I was in a class with a, a guy who was from Athens, Greece. This was late 80s, and he he had on his uh, he had his Koine Greek New Testament because he could. It's so close to the current Greek that most of those people can read that still. Mm. And he had an ASV, which is a great translation. Uh, not not widely accepted anymore, but then that day it was. So I asked Alexander one day. I said, Alexander, which one is the right one? Because I had the NIV, you know, at that time. Uh-huh. He said, he said, he rated three versions. He said King James ninety nine point five. He said American Standard ninety nine. The big question was the NIV. He said ninety eight point five. And he's reading the Greek. Yeah. So I think I think we can say, you know, reasonably sure those are pretty solid. Those are pretty good choices. Pretty yeah. solid, yep. It's a pretty incredible to me how God has used these last centuries to to get his word out to all nations, all languages. Amen. Um, and just like that song, uh, Waymaker, even when you don't see it, even when you don't feel it, God is still working. He's still working. Amen. Amen.